from Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. In my almost six months as the TSA administrator, the threat information, is, it's almost constant. Really, it's never let up at all for aviation security. It's no secret. Terrorists want to attack airplanes, but now they're getting smarter about it. Our adversaries um, looking at a broader range of explosives, potentially looking at lighter explosive weights, things like that. David Pekoski spends many of his waking hours focusing on that and a slew of other problems. But that's only during the day. Two things keep me up at night. People in the shadows. The folks that we don't know anything about, those self-radicalized individuals that for all intents and purposes might not appear as they're booking a ticket. The other element? Checkpoints and airplanes. They can be very dangerous for TSA employees. We've had some situations where our transportation security officers have been assaulted, and we also have TSA employees uh, on aircraft in flight as, as federal air marshals. David Pekoski, breaking down the threats, the solutions, his vision, the team, and what it all means for you on this episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. On January 19th, TSA made some adjustments. Cargo headed to the U.S. aboard planes from six air carriers from seven last point of departure airports in five countries will have to, as soon as possible, before loading the cargo, provide what is called a subset of advanced air cargo data to Customs and Border Protection. Egypt Air from Egypt, Royal Jordanian Airlines from Jordan, Saudia Airlines from Saudi Arabia, Qatar Airways from Qatar, Emirates and Etihad Airways from United Arab Emirates are those that are affected. The information required is who's sending the package, where it's going, and where it's coming from. TSA's decision to take this step started in March of 2017 with the decision that impacted how electronics could be stowed or not in luggage on airplanes headed to the U.S. All of this was a direct descendant of countermeasures that were taken as a result of a plot in Australia in the summer of 2017 in which a bomb with high-end military-grade explosives was found in a piece of luggage, partially assembled with an unspecified explosive shipped by air cargo from Turkey to Australia, where it was to be completely assembled. The Australian plot followed two events in which bombs on planes exploded. In 2015, an Airbus A321 flying from Egypt to St. Petersburg broke up above the Sinai, killing everyone on board, becoming the deadliest disaster in Russian history. ISIL claimed responsibility. Investigators found explosive residue, and Egyptian authorities agreed it was a terrorist attack. 224 people were killed. In February 2016, a Dallo Airlines flight, an Airbus A321, suffered an explosion after taking off from Mogadishu in Somalia. 
opening a hole in the fuselage from which the burned body of a suicide bomber fell to the earth. The airliner was able to land safely. Two people were injured. But it was clear terrorists were changing the way they operated and the tools they used to conduct attacks. In fact, the attack on the Dallow Airlines flight in Mogadishu employed a laptop with explosives supposedly stuffed in the battery compartment of the device. Another reason why electronic devices on planes headed to the U.S. were more closely scrutinized. And that's where we began our conversation with David Pekoski on January 30th. About a week or so ago, TSA made some changes to the cargo mm-hmm. uh, rules and regulations affecting uh, last point of departure uh, airports in, in, seven, in several countries. Right. Several airlines were impacted. Mm-hmm. Several airports were impacted. Mm-hmm. Give me your sense of why this is necessary now. Well, it's necessary based on intelligence information we have. And one of the things we do in TSA is we're constantly looking at at the threat and where the threat is trending. And uh, we had information that uh, caused us to look at our cargo security operations uh, at those five additional last point of departure airports. So we already have um, additional measures in place in one last point of departure uh, airport uh, in in one country. Uh, We added five countries to that that list, and now we have a total of six countries where we have these additional measures. And essentially what these additional measures are is we, we've always done screening of, of air cargo. When I say we, it's, it's uh, done uh, by the carriers uh, or by the carrier's agents for cargo destined for the United States. Um, these new measures gave us essentially advanced information on that cargo before it arrived uh, at the airport for loading on, on board the aircraft. And it's a system called the uh, Air Cargo uh, Advanced Screening System. It's a system that uh, has been put in place by Customs and Border Protection. And so essentially um, what we did is we made what is now a voluntary system, uh, a mandatory system for those last point of departure airports in those five additional countries. Give me your sense of what the threat environment is like now when it comes to airports and specifically in those places, some of those places. Overall, globally, but then in some places it's worse. Give me your overall view of the uh, threat environment right now. Well, we're, we're always super vigilant. Uh, you know, our job is to ensure that, that flights are safe and secure for, for passengers domestically here in the United States and passengers uh, en route to the United States. And in, in my almost six months as the TSA administrator, uh, I've seen um, the threat uh, information it's it's almost constant. You know, we we're always assessing information that we receive, and and really, it's never let up uh, at all for aviation security. And um, and so, that, you know, our job is to make sure we stay on top of and and a step or two or three, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, ahead of where we think that threat's headed. Do you constantly see uh, threats in name through chatter or other intel about attacking the U.S. or uh, interest in? airports uh, that are going to essentially either be here or last point of departure is before coming here? Well, what we see is consistently interest in attacks and interest in attacks in the United States in particular and in aviation in particular. That's But that's been consistent really since 9-11. Uh, that's consistent up to today as we're having this conversation. Are there any groups that are leading this conversation? We know what the situation was in the past with Al Qaeda, mm-hmm. but we also know that Al Qaeda has gone through some changes since right. 9/11. Uh, I understand they're sort of resurgent now, but where are you hearing or getting the threat information from? I'm not 
sources and methods, but who right. are the groups? Well, there's, there are several groups that, that we look at. Uh, and when I say we, it's, it's the overall United States intelligence community and our international partners and our industry partners, because our industry partners uh, certainly have a very vested interest in, in safety and security of aviation. Uh, and so there, there are several groups. And the other thing that w- we look at, too, uh, JJ, is, is uh, it, you know, it may not necessarily be an organization per se. I mean, we've seen uh, terrorist incidents around the world uh, where people become self-radicalized. And so we're always alert for that. We're alert for those behaviors and any trends that might be uh, heading in that direction. Have you seen any specifics from, from an al-Qaeda, from an ISIS? Any specifics? Not, not, not that I can reveal mm-hmm. uh, specifically, but certainly uh, al-Qaeda and ISIS are two of the groups that uh, we watch very carefully. Mm-hmm. The thing that was really sort of an eye-opener to me was about a year or so ago, um, I spoke with uh, Rick Legend, who at that time was the deputy uh, director of the NSA. And then mm-hmm. earlier, uh, probably within the last few months, I spoke with his successor uh, over at NSA. Uh, and they both talked about the fact that the Snowden leaks gave uh, organizations and individuals information about how the intelligence system works here, so they've learned how to hide mm-hmm. in their intent and their activities. Does that pose a threat or a problem to you? Well, certainly any, any leaks uh, of United States sources and methods uh, do compromise to a degree the uh, information that we're able to obtain. But I would say, you know, from my own experience, and I've got a, a good deal of experience in, in, in the government, um, we have a, a significantly um, uh, powerful uh, intelligence enterprise. And it's always looking at where uh, they might obtain uh, different information on on different threats. Uh, And so the benefit we have in TSA, we don't collect information in TSA, but we do benefit from all the great work that's been done by the U.S. intelligence community, uh, including the the National Security Agency, which you described. Mm -hmm. What is your vision for this agency? Where do you see it now, and where do you see it three, four years from now? Great question. My vision for, for TSA is to uh, is to bring a lot more technology into TSA. Uh, if you look at the, the security checkpoint, which is one aspect of what TSA does, but it's the aspect I think that most people recognize as being TSA, um, the technology at that checkpoint uh, does need a, a good deal of refreshing. And, and so we're uh, working very hard now uh, to begin to replace a lot of the equipment that passengers see at the checkpoints, and this will occur over the, over the next several years. But the other part that I look at, and, and what's not visible to a lot of passengers, is a lot of the other processes that TSA has in place. Uh, for example, uh, as soon as a passenger buys a ticket, um, we, we check um, that, that passenger's uh, status uh, on flight with respect to other databases that might indicate that certain passengers might be a concern of ours. Um, and so there's some vetting of passengers before they even get to the airport. Uh, then we have the airport checkpoint uh, r- routine, which everybody's familiar with. But we also provide the screening for check baggage. So if you if you check a piece of baggage with the carrier, that screening is done by TSA in the airport before it boards the flight. And then on the flight, we may have some federal air marshals that, that are on the flight. Uh, we also train the uh, federal flight deck officers, the pilots and co-pilots, um, that volunteer 
uh, for additional training by TSA and, and are armed and can defend the cockpit uh, in flight. Additionally, we have a whole host of inspectors that, that look at uh, compliance with the regulations TSA puts in place for airports, for compliance with uh, security uh, issues for uh, cargo, um, for cargo that's loaded on passenger aircraft and for cargo that's on all cargo aircraft. All that cargo is screened, uh, and we have regulations that pertain to the carriers and the screening facilities to ensure that cargo is safe and secure before it gets loaded on an aircraft. So there's a whole host of inspectors. The other thing that I, I don't think people see is is TSA has a, a good number of, of uh, inspectors and representatives overseas uh, to ensure that we have good coordination with um, U.S. carriers that operate overseas and, and foreign carriers that operate to the United States, and also those, those airports that you talked about earlier that are last points of departure airports for flights to the U.S. You talked about technology. Are we going to see any of this technology change? Will we know? Uh, can you name or can you say what specific technology you want to change? Sure. Specifically, uh, first and foremost would be the x-ray technology that, that's at the checkpoint. And so what passengers will see hopefully uh, within a year or so are different uh, machines from the ones they, that are currently um, in, the, in the checkpoints. And so that would be the probably the most visible. It's the largest piece of machinery uh, in the checkpoint. It's where all your carry-on bags go through on a conveyor belt. Uh, where the uh, transportation security officer uh, checks your carry-on baggage. So so passengers will see that. The additional thing they'll see, and they probably are already seeing at some airports around the country, are what we call automated screening lanes, which um, change the way you you approach the screening lane, wherein you know, in the in the past, before these automated screen lanes were in place, you'd wait for the person in front of you to um, take their their stuff out of their carry-on bags and put it in a bin, uh, so it goes on the conveyor belt into the into the X-ray machine. These automated screening lanes have like five places where five people all at the same time can take their stuff out, uh, which makes it uh, one quicker uh, and secondly a lot more convenient for passengers because you don't have to wait. Uh, behind someone who might not be as familiar with flying as you are or maybe traveling with younger children where it takes them longer. So you don't have to wait for that person right in front of you. You can go just to the next available spot. And those automated screening lanes have some pretty significant security enhancements for us um, on the security side of the lanes um, where we have a a new procedure for uh, examining the x-ray images to ensure that there's nothing that that, uh, um, shouldn't be in a carry-on bag as it goes through the x-ray. And we have new procedures for doing the property searches for those bags that the x-ray says to us, we need to look in this bag for, for something that showed up on the x-ray, and we have a new procedure to do that. Uh, so overall, these uh, screening lanes um, make it more convenient for passengers and also enhance our security in the same, at the same time. When do you expect um, those screening lanes to be open and for business? They're open for business already. We have 115 of them uh, throughout the country. Hmm. Um, uh, and, and you'll see more here in the, in the D.C. area. Uh, once the Reagan... Um, um, recapitalization project where they're putting new new screening checkpoints uh, at, at uh, Washington Reagan Airport. Once that's complete, those automated screening lanes will mm-hmm. be at that airport as well. Okay. Now, what about arriving at the airport? Mm-hmm. One of the things that um, your predecessor and I talked about several times mm-hmm. is the question or the situation that nobody really talks about, and that's people arriving at the airport that may have some kind of explosives on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the standoff distance, um, preventing that from getting into uh, the airport. Um, what's your view on dealing with that? What's the status of the situation now? And, and are there, is that a threat still? 
Oh, explosives uh, are, are always a threat, and it's one of the key things that we focus on. It's one of the key things that, that airports and airport police organizations focus on. And so uh, one of the ways that we work uh, to detect uh, explosives potentially that a passenger may be carrying is using canine teams. And so TSA has roughly 1,100 canine teams. Of those, TSA itself operates uh, well over 300 of them, and you'll see these canine teams uh, in the checkpoint security line. You'll see a TSA officer or canine handler uh, with a dog just going back and forth in the checkpoint lane itself. Uh, but we also provide the dogs and the training for the dogs and their handlers to local law enforcement. Uh, and those are the canines that are kind of outside the screening area in the public areas of the airport um, that are just walking around checking uh, bags out that might be left behind, for example, or bags that people are carrying. So we have a detection process before the checkpoint and also a detection process in the checkpoint. And then additionally, the uh, you know I mentioned that, that new uh, x-ray technology. That x-ray technology exists primarily to detect prohibited items and also explosives. And the new technology is going to be much, much better at detecting both of those. How does what you do uh, stay ahead of the bad guys? Because we know the bad guys evolve. We know it seems as though every so often uh, some technology comes out and then there's a, a way to defeat it, or at least it seems to be a way to defeat it. What's, what's your approach to staying ahead of that? Well, we stay ahead of it by looking at all the layers of security that we have. We, um, we, we are constantly reexamining our vetting process, for example, to identify passengers that may pose additional risk compared to every other passenger that's there. Um, and we refresh the technology at the checkpoints that, that I just mentioned on an ongoing basis. Uh, additionally, uh, with our, our transportation security officers, those uniform officers at the checkpoint, uh, we conduct a lot of training for those officers, both uh, training that we send them off to be trained on and training that we provide in the airport. And, and I would say that, that uh, those officers do, a, I think, a particularly outstanding job in remaining alert, remaining vigilant, um, and providing the security at the checkpoint. Um, additionally, on, on the aircraft, should, should um, something eventually get onto an aircraft, which, which is very, very hard to do and hopefully near impossible, uh, we have the federal air marshals that would be on the aircraft, and they're trained to be able to handle those situations. Uh, so there's, there are these multiple layers of security, plus our partners are, are very much part of this. Um, our partners, um, you know, as you, as you go to the gate, you have to get through a, through a gate agent um, that is also trained to alert us and, and local law enforcement if that gate agent sees anything that might be unusual about a passenger. Um, and, you know, just in the check-in process at the airport, uh, the, you know, the airline um, employees are, are trained to, with security in mind. The final thing I would, I would say on this is I think it's really, really important that passengers themselves, if a passenger sees something that just doesn't seem right, um, to report it to somebody, uh, either report it to a transportation security officer in the checkpoint, and, and you know there are ways to do that uh, discreetly, um, or to report it to a law enforcement official they may see in the airport, or anybody else who looks like they're acting in an official capacity, because passengers are are you know going to see you know they, they the passengers are very observant. I am when I'm when I'm traveling, um, and you know it's just a simple slogan: if you see something, say something, mm -hmm. because we're really all in this together. And it's been proven that it does work. The, um, the, the pressure cooker situation in Chelsea in New York was a good example of that. We're talking with David Pekoski, administrator of the Transportation Security Administration. And when we come back... Two things keep me up at night. People in the shadows. The folks that we don't know anything about. Plus... You know, I see uh, our adversaries um, 
looking at a broader range of explosives, potentially looking at lighter explosive weights, things like that. The new terror tactics and tools when we return to Target USA. The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. The threat to airplanes flying to the U.S. or carrying Americans has always been a top target of terror groups, at least in the modern era. And the future is going to be no different. Today, we've been talking with David Pekoski, administrator of the TSA, about what they're expecting and what they're going to do about it. A big concern are airports overseas that are flying planes to the U.S., and that's where we pick up our conversation. The challenges facing TSA change Mm -hmm. as time passes. We've spoken a little bit about how the bad guys change, technology changes, but also um, the people that are running airports and security people overseas change too, sometimes with governments, Mm -hmm. that that whole apparatus changes, Mm -hmm. just much like this one. Mm -hmm. But... One of the real concerns that's been communicated to me over the years is the, the need to make sure that the U.S.'s partners overseas are trained adequately. Mm-hmm. How does TSA participate and, and I guess, um, lead that effort? Well, we, we've had a, a process in place um, uh, that began in, in July and continues to this day uh, where we've led an effort to raise the global bar on aviation security. and. What this started off with uh, was uh, doing some additional explosives detection testing on personal electronic devices. If you were boarding a flight internationally and you wanted to come to the U.S., there was some more testing that was done before you were able to board that flight. Uh, That began in July, and then uh, in the fall, we added additional measures where now there is a conversation between a passenger uh, and a gate agent to see if there's anything unusual about that particular passenger's uh, behavior that might warrant further scrutiny. And we've also increased the the security around aircraft at these foreign airports um, while they're sitting at the gate getting ready to depart, and also the, the, the catering operation that supports that, th- those aircraft. So there are some significant measures already in place internationally to raise uh, that bar, and we're continuing to work on this. We work on it with uh, U.S. carriers that fly internationally, uh, and certainly the foreign carriers that fly to the U.S., and then international bodies like ICAO, uh, the International Civil uh, Aviation Organization, a U.N. body, and our foreign partners. I mean, we've had great cooperation from uh, our foreign partners uh, in the United Kingdom and the European Commission, Canada, Australia, and other countries around the globe. So there's a lot of great collaboration that goes on. And what we try to do is we try not to uh, all learn the same thing at the same time. At, 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 you know, from from the start, we try to share what we've learned collectively. We we try to share how we're testing technology, uh, and we're working now uh, internationally to see if we can start harmonizing some of the standards that this technology is built towards. Uh, how 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 do you you see the 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 threat in these places now um, changing? And, and what what I mean by this, a couple of years ago, there was an airplane that took off from an airport in Somalia. Mm-hmm. Somebody had somehow made it aboard that plane mm-hmm. with a laptop with explosives inside of it, mm-hmm. and it blew a hole in the plane. Fortunately, nobody on the plane was killed except the guy who. Mm-hmm. Yep. Was had carried in, but somebody had helped mm. them. People now, through social media, through the the internet and learning processes, there has made this challenge and this threat a lot more difficult mm-hmm. to detect. 
So what beyond training people? Yeah, uh, well, well, training people is, is really important. Uh, we do that here domestically. We, we, um, uh, I know other countries certainly train, train their own uh, security forces for sure. I think it goes back to having passengers, if they see something that's unusual, to report uh, that unusual activity. Um, the other thing is, that, is there's a global aviation security plan that, that uh, the International Civil Aviation Authority, ICAO, uh, put in force uh, recently that, that basically looks at, hey, how can, how can we internationally, every single country, uh, take more responsibility for aviation security and, and raise aviation security on a global basis? And so that, that plan is in place, and you know, it, it's one of the things the United States did when we put our measures, those July and October measures that I mentioned previously, uh, that's our way of, of leading that effort uh, internationally in close coordination with our partners in those mm-hmm. countries. One of the things we have here, and almost every month, we see several uh, notifications from TSA about people traveling with Mm -hmm. firearms or trying to, people that are forgotten, Mm -hmm. supposedly. Is that a concern? It's a concern, um, and and it's a concern. It's a reflection on on the skill of the workforce that that we have in TSA to be able to detect those items before they get on board aircraft. Uh, The number of firearms we see at checkpoints is, is going up. Uh, it's right. a concern of ours. I don't know. Uh, you know, most most passengers would say that they forgot that they had the firearm with them. Um, I think in some cases that that's true. Uh, you know, what we've done is provided additional emphasis on the fact that firearms are prohibited on board aircraft, and you want if you want to bring a firearm on flight, you have to check it in your check bags, and there are procedures to go about doing that to do it properly. Uh, but we are seeing that increase. Uh, we work very closely when we discover. Uh, a firearm at a checkpoint with local law enforcement, um, and, and local law enforcement generally handles the case from there. Mm-hmm. So as, as we look at the next few years, mm-hmm. um, you've talked a little bit about what your, you know, your, your vision is. Mm-hmm. What do you, and I, I want to go back to threats for a minute, mm-hmm. what do you see threats as threats now, and what do you see perhaps down the road evolving into bigger threats now, just based on where you are now? Well, I see, the, I see the threat remaining very persistent, uh, certainly focused on aviation. Uh, and so that's something that, that we are constantly looking at. And, and you know, I see uh, our adversaries um, looking at a broader range of explosives, potentially looking at lighter explosive weights, things like that, um, that we just need to make sure that we have procedures in place that, that can detect those and that we've trained our workforce as to what to look for. Uh, when they're at the checkpoint. And then most importantly, the biggest change uh, and the biggest need is the technology to be able to uh, to detect that as it goes through the x-ray machine. So when you do all those three things uh, in parallel, uh, that will allow us to stay ahead of this threat. Uh, one of the things that, that, that I'd mentioned to you is, you know, beginning in at the end of the summer, we did change our procedures uh, at the security checkpoints, and, and those procedures are still rolling out across the country, and they'll be completely implemented uh, in a month or so. But those procedures were designed to um, declutter the x-ray image uh, as you went through the checkpoint. And so what passengers would notice in the standard lanes is uh, the transportation security officer asking them to take more things out of their carry-on bag than they might have in the past. So we're asking people to take out uh, all foods, all liquids, aerosols, and gels. Of course, that was always the case. And then any uh, electronic device that's larger than a cell phone. What that does for us is when it, when that carry-on bag goes through the x-ray machine, that image has a lot of that clutter uh, taken out of it. So it's much easier to discern if there's something uh, that we would be concerned about, whether it's a prohibited item or potentially an explosive, we have a better chance of seeing it in the x-ray machine 
uh, when that image is decluttered. And then additionally, uh, we conducted a lot of our training for our screeners to be able to um, more systematically examine that x-ray image um, and, and to be more effective in that process so that if there is something there, uh, we've increased the probability that we will detect it. And then, like I said earlier, uh, then we had a more focused process to search the bags that we need to search. Some bags we don't need to search, uh, but some, as passengers can attest to, uh, that when they go into what we call secondary screening, that we do open the bag up and look for particular items just to try to resolve what we might have seen on the X-ray image with what we see visually to make sure it's not either prohibited or an explosive. So I want to go back um, just briefly to the the question regarding the adversaries. You talk about... Uh, the, the tactics that some of your adversaries mm -hmm. may want to em employ or deploy. Um, so who do you consider your adversaries? Are there names? Are there groups? Are there specific organizations? Is there a hierarchy? Give me a sense of how you value who they may be. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, We know mm -hmm. about the lone wolf and all mm -hmm. that, but we know that their AQAP is right. still out there. Ibrahim right. al-Assiri, as I understand mm -hmm. it, is still out there, and mm -hmm. some of his disciples too. Who, who are your adversaries when it comes to this? Well, we, we have names of individuals and descriptions of individuals that are, of course, on our no-fly list, which means you can't fly on an aircraft in the United States. That doesn't mean that um, sometimes uh, people on the no-fly list attempt to fly. And so our job is to identify them and, and, and working with the carriers to prevent them from being ticketed and flying aboard an aircraft in the United States. Additionally, there are uh, other people that um, uh, we, we look at from a background perspective and say this particular passenger presents more risk than other passengers do. And so that those passengers, when they come through a checkpoint, they can fly, um, but we change our security procedures to deal with that increased level of threat. And the whole, the whole idea here is to, is to base our operations on risk as we know it. And mm -hmm. so if we see a passenger who presents more risk, then there's more security provided there. Um, a, a good example would be a pre-check passenger, for example, a passenger that's a trusted traveler that's given a lot of information to us about themselves, um, they get a different security process because they're a trusted traveler than somebody that uh, we might have some adverse information on. Mm -hmm. At the 30,000 foot level, mm -hmm. um, just not to spend too much time beating that horse of the, mm -hmm. the, the terror groups, but are there any that are more of a problem or more of a concern than others? I think for me, they're all a concern. And, and for me, um, the key thing is that, is that if you focus just on one or two, you might miss the others that are out there. And, and, and uh, we just need to be uh, incredibly vigilant all the time. And the other thing is, is you know, as, as we're seeing passengers in the checkpoint, if we see behaviors that cause us concern uh, or cause passengers concern, that we resolve those at the checkpoint because that's the best place uh, to have those issues resolved. We've talked specifically about cargo mm -hmm. coming from abroad. Cargo domestically. Any mm -hmm. thoughts about that you want to share? Cargo domestically, uh, you know, um, Cargo, all, all cargo domestically is inspected um, uh, before it gets on board aircraft, and that inspection process uh, is part of what we require airlines and, and some of the cargo certification facilities around the country to conduct by regulation. Um, and and um, we uh, inspect those regulated parties um, very significantly. I mean, we have a whole team of inspectors. Their whole job is to just inspect cargo screening facilities for cargo that goes on a passenger aircraft or cargo that goes on an all-cargo aircraft. Um, and we work very carefully and closely with the carriers and those companies to make sure that that process is uh, constantly improved day in and day out. Um, and so, you know, we, we do focus a lot of attention on this. We want to make sure that that is, is safe and secure as well. What keeps you up at night? 
Two things keep me up at night. One is the uh, the safety of uh, the 60,000 uh, great men and women who are part of TSA. Uh, this is a job that, that can be dangerous at times when you're standing in checkpoint. We've had some situations where our transportation security officers have been assaulted. Uh, and we also have TSA employees uh, on aircraft in flight as, as federal air marshals. So that, so that keeps me up at night is ensuring the safety uh, of the great men and women in TSA. Um, the other thing that keeps me up at night really is, is the, the folks that we don't know anything about that may present a threat. Those, those self-radicalized individuals um, that uh, for all intents and purposes might not appear uh, as, they're, as they're booking a ticket, for example, uh, might not appear to be a threat that we, uh, the entire TSA needs to be incredibly vigilant for and always on the lookout for. You, you, you just can't assume that everybody is, is, is a good traveler. I mean, there, there, are, there are some folks out there that want to do harm uh, to the U.S., and, uh, and we need to be incredibly vigilant on that. You know, just to look at the example on the surface side uh, of the person who rented a, uh, a truck over in New Jersey and then drove down the west side of Manhattan. No information on that on that person in advance. The individual who was going between the uh, Port Authority bus terminal and the uh, MTA in New York with the IED on his person blew up one of the IEDs. No information about that person in advance. So that's that's what keeps me up at night. If I may, just... Mm-hmm. Just really yep. quickly, yep. Um, you know, when you talk about these people, where do you see the ability now to detect these people versus where it sh- should be or where you want it to be? Well, the ability to detect really, I think, uh, is incumbent upon all of us that, that live in this country. And the, you know, if you it, again, it, it, it's it's a very simple slogan, but every time one of these cases comes up, I just reflect back and say, if someone saw something that just didn't look right, if they just placed a call to their local police department uh, or alerted somebody that they might have seen that is in official capacity some way, somehow, some of these uh, incidents would not have occurred. And so uh, we do really rely on on passengers and transportation systems really to help us with security because this is something that collectively uh, we all want to make sure that everybody gets to where they're going mm-hmm. safely and securely. Mr. Pekoski, is there anything you want to add that I haven't asked you about that you think is important? Uh, the great job the TSOs do. The, uh, yeah, well, I've mentioned it a couple times. Is 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 that uh, you know for for our TSOs, you know, something to consider. Um, over, we just went through a, a very busy holiday period where we had uh, record levels of travel um, uh, in the United States. And some days we had 2.6 million passengers going through our security checkpoints on a given day. Um, and uh, the the 60,000 plus men and women at TSA, I think, did a, did a, a remarkable job. In making sure that you know we 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 increase security because we put those new procedures in place that increase security and at the same time uh, we had good flow uh, through all of our transportation systems so that's that that's a, a real uh, significant accomplishment on the part of the entire workforce because it's all the folks that do the vetting the people do the check baggage the inspections the folks in the air and the folks at the checkpoint uh, and the folks internationally from from our last point of departure airport so for me it's just a real privilege to be the administrator of this agency and. I'm looking forward to continuing to advance security in the United States. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. That's David Pekoski, administrator of the TSA. We here at Target USA will be watching security developments as they relate to aviation and every other form of transportation in the U.S. and that affect the U.S. So we'll likely be talking again, hopefully, with Mr. Pekoski. But in the meantime... Coming up in the next episode of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. The United States is an easier and higher priority intelligence target of the Russian Federation than the Russian Federation is for the United States. Mike Hayden, 
former director of the Central Intelligence Agency, joins us with some observations about the U.S. and Russia during his tenure that we didn't know about. I was director 06, 07, 08, a month or two in 09. I went to more than 50 countries as director of CIA. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. Not one of them was named Russia. Why? I, well, b- because because we were consumed, and, 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 and again, I'm describing a reality. I'm not apologizing. We were consumed by the counterterrorism and counterproliferation effort that we had in front of us. And in addition to that, Hayden says when it comes to Moscow's interference in the 2016 election, Americans left the door open. Frankly, it wasn't hard. It wasn't, wasn't high-end espionage. It wasn't even high-end covert action. Well, we were a vulnerable society because of the way we had gerrymandered ourselves. And we'll learn from some other sources how the U.S. figured out what Russia was up to. That's on the next program. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Subscribe to our podcast, and also let me know what you think. Send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa, jgreen at WTOP.com. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at podcastone.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.